Hi there, Medical Education Podcast listeners. This is Kevin Eva, the editor-in-chief of the journal, coming to you today from a bright and sunny winter day in Vancouver, but have the real privilege and honor of uh, speaking with a colleague on the other side of the world who's heading deeper into summer, I, I believe, at this point. The voice you'll hear momentarily belongs to Bumi Malau Aduli, who's Associate Professor and Associate Dean for Learning and Teaching at James Cook University in Queensland, Australia. And we'll be discussing a paper that she and her co-authors have coming out in the March 2021 issue of Medical Education, entitled Examiner's Decision-Making Processes in Observation-Based Clinical Examinations. Bumi, welcome and thanks for making the time to talk about this. Thanks, Kevin, for inviting me to share the findings of our study. My pleasure. I'm very much looking forward to it. And we'd start by noting that you have quite an extensive list of co-authors, and that leads to the obvious question of how such an ambitious project came to be. Thanks. The study was actually conceived by myself, Richard Hayes, and Karinda Souza, and also it was co-developed and executed by members of Acclaim. And acclaim is, the full meaning of that is Australian Collaboration for Clinical Assessment in Medicine. And it is a national collaboration that involves a group of Australian and New Zealand medical schools that come together to quality assure and benchmark students' performance on clinical assessment with a major focus on OSCEs. So we actually feel the work is relevant for both clinical assessment organizers and as well as assessors or examiners, because these two groups of people try hard to accurately and reliably determine whether candidates are ready to progress to the next level of their training. However, this group of people have limited opportunity to review a candidate's performance together therefore rely on passing performance information back and forth prior to and after performance. And this largely is done via the assessment rating form, which is also referred to as a mark sheet. So we see that during clinical assessment, evidence of the candidate's performance is assessed by the examiner and then recorded on the mark sheet in real time. And this is really complex. It's a complex process which is subject to a lot of cognitive drain and variability. The literature has indicated that there are discrepancies in global ratings and pass-field decisions and have reported that these differences persist amongst examiners despite examiner training and improved station design. This therefore highlights a need to understand how examiners make judgments. And I guess that's where our group have come into this study from thinking about, given that we come together and collaboratively develop OSCE stations, use them together and benchmark student performance, we felt there was a need to understand how examiners make their judgments so that we could be assured of the results that we're getting in terms of student performance data. Well, and you very interestingly just juxtaposed two things in my ear yeah. anyway, the, both the issue of variability in examiner judgment and needing to better understand that, but also the issue of the cognitive load, the amount of mental effort that it takes examiners to form their judgments. What was it that led you to perceive cognitive load as being an important aspect to help you better understand the variability that you alluded to? 
Yeah, thanks for that. The literature actually tells us that four times more variation occurring or variance from examiner rating in comparison to variance according to student performance. And so we see that there is a big source of bias or variation there, which needs to be considered. We also see particularly studies from the educational psychology domain that indicate that different approaches are used by examiners, particularly configurational approaches, which are related to recognition prime decisions. And they are more frequently used than analytical decisions where we actually provide mark sheets with checklists for examiners to use. So that means they're doing something different sometimes to what they expected to do. And we wanted to explore that a bit further and find out what they actually do and why they do that. And so after Anoski, it appears as though you not only interviewed some interviewers about their observations on particular candidates, but also applied something known as the NASA Task Load Index. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about what that is and what it's meant to capture? Yeah. So for the study, we actually applied what we call a pragmatic mixed methods approach to explore the cognitive processes that examiners follow when they make judgments about candidate performance. We thought applying the mixed method where we actually use objective skills or instruments to measure their cognitive load or self-reported cognitive load and then correlate that with their narratives in the focus group interviews would help us to see whether there's an alignment between both processes. And to do that, we actually used a cognitive mental load that's known as the NASA Task Load Index, NASA TLX. It was used to measure their self-reported mental workload across six dimensions. And these dimensions are their mental demand, physical demand, temporal demand, as well as the performance the effort and frustration. So we wanted to know from them using this scale, which uses a 10-point scale from 0 to 10, helping them to rate in terms of the mental demand that's required for them to observe and assess a student. We had two scenarios that we presented to our examiners. We presented to them a scenario of a passing candidate as well as a borderline candidate. And we made sure that we did this immediately after the OSCE exam so that they could process the information and provide, you know, their reflections in real time. Now, anybody who's been involved in an assessment of any kind, I'm sure would form the same intuition I had that the borderline candidate would require more mental effort to make sense of how they should be assessed relative to the one who was a clear pass, who's doing everything well. But part of why I was intrigued by your findings were the capacity to align that mental effort with particular considerations of what was it about the assessment activity or the examiner's role that made it so difficult. What was the mechanism underlying the increase in mental workload for borderline candidates. Do you mind just sharing some of the things that you found most interesting and surprising with respect to what was creating the mental effort? Yes, thanks. So to start off, I'll say that generally 
talking about borderline candidates, in my experience in clinical assessment, it seems like borderline means different things to different people. Some people say, does it mean the candidate is just safe to progress? Or does it mean that the examiner needs more information to make a decision? Quite a lot of differences exist. And I guess that would be the starting point for when examiners are asked to assess a borderline candidate. This is also in line with what's already in the literature, which says that judging candidate performance is generally complex and cognitively difficult. But it's particularly so for borderline students. And that's the interesting part of our study, because exploring further what the examiners do in the two different scenarios of a clear passing student or candidate and a borderline candidate revealed to us five main themes. The first being that they use the marking criteria as a source of reassurance. So it serves as a safety blanket, helping them to remember the important things that need to be assessed against the curriculum learning outcomes. However, under certain conditions, assessing a borderline candidate being one of those, in such situations, the examiners indicated that the cognitive demand is high. So they kind of experienced some kind of struggle in trying to determine, you know, whether that student should pass or fail. And in such instances, they actually abandon the mark sheet and focus on what they feel is important. And that's when the criteria is not clear about what and how a passing candidate is expected to perform. So in these instances, the main things from our study that we found that they use are, one, they look at the demeanor of the candidate. They want to see the candidate is confident, the perceived level of engagement, and how they confidently perform the task. They also look out for patient safety. And they particularly do this for borderline candidates. And when they found out that candidate is not being safe in their approach, they're actually more confident to give that candidate a failing grade. So they consider things like, would I be confident to send my family member to this person as their doctor? And I see that being a very big issue for examiners. And then finally, the mental construct known as mythical intern, which actually was mentioned by one of the participants, so we've called it prototypical intern, is a calibration that they use to rate candidates against that mental construct. And that for us was quite interesting. And at that time, that's when they begin to look at how the candidate has actually performed the task that they've been asked to do. And that's when they also use, you know, affective strategies to determine this. They then begin to look into the schemas based on their own, you know, previous experiences. Some things they consider are they put themselves in their candidate's shoes, thinking about when they were at that stage of learning. They also think about the candidate as if they were their junior colleague in the workplace. And so they begin to make decisions based on that. And we found that to be quite interesting, realizing that there are times where the mark sheet does not actually provide them with all the information they require. And so they then step back and decide to use their own strategies or criteria. 
One final question then. What does this mean for a group like Acclaim, a group like yours that's running these OSCEs across a variety of different settings and obviously within each one of them trying to do the job as well as possible? How is this influencing the way that you're thinking about the assessment needs of your medical programs? Yeah, I think this highlights the importance of examiner training and calibration. One, to reduce cognitive load and also to improve the accuracy and consistency of examiner judgments, especially when we're running benchmarking exercises across sites. It's important that there's a shared understanding of the marking criteria or expected standards so that everyone would start on the same page and we can rest assured of the data that we collate and the information that we provide back to the schools in relation to the benchmarking exercise. Excellent. It's not an easy task, even as you said, trying to create that mythical intern and ensure that everybody has a similar conception of that comparison they're making is going to be an ongoing challenge. But I think this work definitely does take us some step along the way of trying to better understand that. So I wish you and your larger group the best of success in continuing to explore these issues. Thank you. I guess just to add on a final note, the research work has raised that concept of the mythical intern, like we said. And then it's also helped us to realize that we need to work on sharpening our instrument, the mark sheet. But before we do that, we think in our group, we've decided to actually unpack the meaning of the mythical or prototypical intern. And this would help us to construct a shared and agreed understanding of what the expectations or the cognitive framework that the examiners use and be able to align this with the marking sheet so that it can help us to guide examiner training and calibration. I think if we're able to achieve this integration, it would help improve the accuracy and consistency of examiner judgments and also help to reduce cognitive workload. Excellent note to end on. That's fantastic. And the details, again, that we've left out can be found in the March 2021 issue of Medical Education. There you'll see the very good advice that Bumi and her colleagues have offered under the title, Examiner's Decision-Making Processes in Observation-Based Clinical Examinations. Thank you once again, Bumi, for doing this. Oh, thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.